Well, I apologize if you're new. It means you don't get to hear Jeff speak this morning. Um, sadly, you have to hear me. Uh, but let's, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. We are looking at 2 John. We're going to be reading it in its entirety. That may sound daunting, uh, but it's a very small letter. Uh, it's in the back near Revelation. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who, all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, fill this room with your spirit that we may be occupied with your presence. We are blind. Send yourself to make us see. We are dark and let him say, let there be light. May you give us faith to behold our name engraven in your hand and our soul and body redeemed by your blood, our sinfulness covered by the life of pure obedience. Holy Spirit, be with us this hour. May you speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hello. Uh, my name is Slim, and it may sound like an odd name, and if you want to know the backstory to that, I can tell you that some other time, uh, maybe not today. Uh, but yes, that's what people called me since the sixth grade. Uh, but I am so excited to be here. We are so excited to be here. If my wife and son Knox were here, we would be just j jumping. We are ready. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn. I know there's a congregational vote next week, and there's a presbytery to, to go through, but 
uh, we are ready. And ever since Jeff Manning uh, called to say that he has chosen us, there's been a constant quote running through my head from an old 80s movie. Um, so some of you youth will not get it. Uh, you may not have seen it, but it's an old uh, 80s movie, classic, uh, When Harry Met Sally. Good movie, I think. I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> Sometimes they change on you. Um, but it's, it's when Harry Met Sally, it, it has, you know, Billy Crystal, and he's one of those guys that everyone loves. Uh, you feel like we'd be best friends if we were on a one-on-one basis. But the plot of the movie is pretty typical. Uh, it's pretty typical nowadays, but it may not have been in the 80s. But the plot of the movie is pretty typical. You have Harry, who is friends with Sally. Uh, they are better friends than they are spouses, or so they think. And all they really needed to do near the end was to realize that true love was just right around the corner. Sounds like a lot of movies these days. Oh, love was just right here. Um, that is the theme that's always in these movies. Also, the other theme is that's in movies nowadays is just, just be yourself. Have you noticed that? Anyways, okay. But the climax of this movie, the climax of this movie, Harry is pouring out his heart to Sally, and he says, I came here tonight because when you realize who you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to start now. And for some reason, when Jeff Manning called, that quote came in. <laughs> it's not how I meant it to come out, not as if... I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's got the head shaved like me as well. I think we'd be good friends. Anyways, I can't wait to be here with you all. I can't wait for this to start. Uh, I believe, we believe the Lord is calling us back to Texas. Only you guys can make that happen. Um, vote for me. Where, but Redeemer, <laughs> Redeemer uh, is where my wife worshipped for four years uh, when she was at Baylor about five years ago. Uh, and I got to be here for a year and sit under and enjoy uh, this church. And we have just such a warm spot for this church in our hearts. Uh, just the emphasis on the gospel. And we've been at two very drastically different churches since Redeemer. We've been at just polar opposites. And we always came back saying, if only, if only Redeemer would hire an associate. God is good. But I say all this not to just introduce myself. I, I, I say it also to kind of paint the setting, the context um, for our text. Um, John, the apostle, is writing this letter to a church that is so very dear to his heart. And, and it's a similar heartfelt message. And so today I'm going to act like John. And as you read here, he's writing to the elect lady. So I'll act like John. You act like the elect lady. And so it's John's message through Slim to you today at Redeemer Wake Up. And his message is this, truth, love, and truth. That's right, three things. Big surprise as a pastor. It's truth, the application of that truth, and then a different truth. Uh, but before we get and see what the, the truth is, let me, let me take a step back, see the context, what's the bird's eye view of what's going on here. Uh, sometimes as a, coming in and preaching a, a text that you may not be familiar with, you guys are going through your own series. It's hard to kind of say, well, that seems out of context. And so I decided to pick Second John so that we could read the entire uh, letter. And so you have the whole context. Um, and John is the apostle here. And he opens his letter in verse 1 saying, the elder. Now, he could be saying 
a ruling elder is writing to you, but it, it's referring to John the Apostle. He's saying the elder, almost as if he's saying the old man's writing to this lady. The one aged, veteran, seasoned, uh, lots of wisdom, lots of experience. I mean, John, he was just a teenager during Jesus' ministry. Odd to think about as a teenager, you walking around following this Savior, Messiah. Uh, but he was just a teenager during that ministry. And now he's probably 80 or 90. He writes his gospel and he writes these letters. And this one he writes to the elect lady and her children. And uh, some people believe that this real lady, or this, this lady is a real lady. And I'm fine with that interpretation, but I don't think where you fall on this issue uh, changes the thrust of this message or of, of his letter. Uh, but I fall in line with other commentators that this elect lady is actually referring to a church. And so he writes to this elect lady, or sometimes the, you know, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and her children or the congregants in the church. And so he's saying to this elect lady, possibly a persecuted house church, he's writing, and they're veiling their identity because of some type of persecution. And it's to this church that's probably in the Ephesus area who I love in truth. And this is my sentiment <laughs> to Redeemer, who I love in truth and all who know the truth. All right, so to get our first truth, we have to look at verse 2. And if you don't have Bibles or your bulletin's handy, I'm just going to be kind of working through some of our text here. He says, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And so what John is saying is that this truth, whatever the truth is that abides in us, that will make its house in us, will be a forever truth. Whatever that truth is, is true all the time, always and forever. And this truth will completely define your life. It's stuck on you. Did you guys just get a bunch of sound from me? I feel a lot louder. (laughs) I learned how to project in midstream. Um, But he's saying this truth is is a forever truth. It's not like my good looks. Well, that's faded. I may have never had it, but it's not like my weight loss regiment. Well, <laughs> got to get a new one. It's not like my job. I'm in a new line of work now. He says, this is, this is an always truth. It's a concentric, swirling, forever truth, and it will stick with you and be with you forever. And so what is the truth? Verse 3, grace, mercy, peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, and truth and love. And so here it is, to the elect lady, to Redeemer Waco, the truth that will be with you forever is grace, mercy, and peace. Now usually in this part of the letter, it's common for them to wish something on the recipient, to I wish grace, mercy, and peace to you, no, but that's not what John does. He says, here's something, I'm stating this. Grace, mercy, and peace will be your defining Song In the refrain of your song, it'll be grace, mercy, and peace forever. John Albert Bengal says, grace removes guilt. Mercy removes misery. And peace expresses a continuance in those first two. And so in a sense, he's saying to, to live in peace you have to always be living in grace and mercy. Some of us don't know peace. 
Some of us, we're always warring and constantly struggling with someone. Always picking battles. We don't know peace. Even when we lay our heads down on our pillow, we're, we're having endless arguments. And so peace becomes this elusive concept. And right here, John says, grace, mercy, and peace forever. Grace is getting, you may have heard this before, grace is getting that which we do not deserve and mercy is not getting that which we do deserve. And peace is relaxing in the beauty of those two truths. Because of what Jesus has done, God says you conquered the devil in the wilderness. You showed love to the woman at the well. You sacrificially died. And so because of his grace, he gives us Jesus' righteousness. And because of his mercy, Jesus was then mocked, beaten, spat upon, stabbed, clubbed, suffocated, and crucified. That's what we should have gotten. And peace says, it is finished. Peace says, If those two truths are true, if grace and mercy, if that's real, there is peace. There is harmony because Christ has completed it. There Jesus Jesus took what I had earned and gave me what I didn't earn. This is this constant truth, and this is something that will be true about our lives till we die. We will be always living in grace, mercy, and even in heaven grace and mercy and true heavenly peace. We'll be singing the praises of what he's done for us. I could have a whole sermon on that. Let's move on. So this is the truth. And now we see the application of this truth in verses four through six. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I write you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. John is thrilled that the, her children or the congregants are walking in the commandments or they're embodying the commandments. He says, this is a truth, and this truth has, has to have results. It's explosive. This truth should shape and mold our lives because of what Jesus done has done. Here is the application, and it's nothing new. It's an oldie-goldie from the get-go. Love one another. Is that it, John? Just, just love one another? I think I got that. Do you want me to do something more specific? No? Love one another. Because that is all, that is more than we can handle. Love one another. It's one of the most penetrating, killing commands he can give. Love one another creeps into all of the holes in our Christian walk and tells us that we haven't actually done things rightly. We haven't actually loved one another. Now, I, I, can, I cannot murder someone. I have not murdered anyone physically. I cannot cheat on my wife. Well, (laughs) I cannot lie. Well, (laughs) 
There's things, there's some physical things we can't, I can't do. But when he says love one another, that's commands on steroids. That is huge. That, that's blowing it up. And this reminds me of this, this classic Bob Newhart skit from Mad TV. You guys may have seen this. I encourage you to go look it up on YouTube, not during the service. Um, Bob Newhart is, is acting as the worst counselor in the history of counseling, if they have a history for that. He is the worst counselor, and if we have our lay counseling team here, you guys should watch that and say, do the exact opposite of this. All right? So this woman comes into his office and says, well, I don't know how to tell you, um, but I I guess I'll just lay it on the table. I've been having this fear of being buried alive in a box. (laughs) And Bob Newhart goes, well, okay, that's weird. Um, All right, well, I've got two words for you. If you just take these two words, uh, this will change that disorder. This, this, this will take care of it. And she's like, oh, okay, should I write this down? He says, no, I think you'll be able to get it. Just two words. Are you ready? Stop it! <laughs> stop it! <laughs> he just yells stop it to her. And she's like, I- I'm sorry, sir. Um, it's more complex than that. There's a reason I, I came to you because I can't. Just stop it! <laughs> He just yells, stop it to her. And I feel like sometimes, maybe this is what God's doing here through John. He's saying, I just give you one command. Just love one another. That's all. Love one another. And I think we're like the Pharisees, and we want him to give us these specific commands of what to do and not to do. And when he says, love one another, (laughs) that plays with my motives. That plays with, with how I've loved someone, with how long, with, with the why. And I think, I think Tolian Tavigian, is that how you pronounce it? I think he's right. He says that our problem here in our Presbyterian circles is not that we have cheap grace. We, 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 cheap grace, we were elected. Jesus, it's all because of what Jesus has done, nothing what we have done, which we affirm. But then some may twist that and say, well, then I'll just abuse the grace of God. Tolian says that, yes, that is a problem, but that's not our main problem. Our problem, as we see it, and I think he's right, we don't have cheap grace, is that we have cheap law. We reduce the law of God so much to be something that we can handle, something that we can hurdle over. And so we tear down the law of God, and now... We're not really that bad of sinners because we have small sins. We only need a small Savior. And the command to love one another catapults that law. It shoots it up. It makes it this huge law. It's such a high standard. And if we see love one another as high as it actually is, then we can do nothing but live a life of grace and mercy because that's all we have. We have grace and mercy because we're living and we're seeing all of my sins. Love one another exposes it all. It shows us all of our sins, all of our ugliness, all of our insecurities. Spurgeon would use this illustration to depict the depths of how depraved our hearts can be. And he would take an acorn, which I actually tried to find out here. I could not find. 
be funny to watch me just walking around the grass. Uh, He would take an acorn and say, when you look at this acorn, what do you see? I know it's counterintuitive. I know it's hard to wrap your brain about around. But in this one acorn is an ocean of wood. Because if this one acorn falls in the ground and becomes this huge tree, that huge tree is all scrunched up inside this one little acorn. Now, if that huge tree then produces thousands of other acorns and they produce thousands of other trees and so on and so on, this one acorn now has the power to cover the entire world in an ocean of wood. But if that acorn falls in the pavement... After a few days, it rots. The power comes to nothing. does not mean that the power is not in there. To see the power, to understand the power, has to fall in the soil and get watered and so on. Then he would turn and say, what do you think murder starts with? What do you think is the beginning sin for that? And he says, murder starts with, I don't like that person. I wish they weren't here. Murder starts with small sins of selfishness, of pride, of self-centeredness, a small grudge. And he says, in that acorn cup of your heart, in that spot, there is an ocean of evil. Thousands and thousands of murders are inside your own heart because it starts with that small little acorn. And though you may by God's grace not to be in a situation where that evil is being fertilized, doesn't mean that the power is not in there. Doesn't mean the power is not in there for you to have thousands of lies, thousands of adulteries, thousands of murders. That's my heart. I don't think I've ever truly loved anyone. My acorn heart gives me this high view of the law. And it's, though it is a towering view of the law, it's an even higher view of God's grace because God says, that's the person I died for. That's the person I'm going to love. That's the person I'm showing grace and mercy and peace to. And then he says, now go love as I have loved you. Love one another. I mean, how wonderful would it be if, if Redeemer really got this? I know you guys do to some extent. But what if the first thought that came to your head when someone asked you, what's Redeemer like? And you said, it's a place where I'm loved. People love me there. And it's a place where I can love others. Not in the fake half-hearted way where people murder you behind your back, but I'm truly loved And this is what John is calling us to. It's a lofty goal to love one another. But this is the the axis of the vertical and the horizontal. Because of what Christ has done for us, shown us grace, mercy, and peace. Here here is the, the overflow of that. This is the axis of the what he has done, the vertical and the horizontal. It is it is a natural result. But we have to always be going back to that first of what he has done, that well of love for us to be able to love one another. 
This is why we say we extend the supremacy of God by delighting in the worth and work of Jesus Christ and what he has done. But notice that this love another section is just a small portion of the letter. It's important. It's application. But John couches this love another section between these two truths. He makes a little truth sandwich for us of of what grace, mercy, and peace is. And here's the last truth, verses 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So John now gives some advice to those who deny this last truth. And this, the truth is that the truth John is talking about is truly a person. John says in his gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is this last truth. And there are wolves all around. There are deceivers that want to deny this last truth that he ever came in the flesh. There are some who want to just say, love one another and take the source of that love away from us. They, they want to deny his, that his physical death and resurrection ever existed. And so this is taking the power away from the people. This is taking the ammunition away from your gun. Someone's taken my power. Is, God, is it important that Christ is a real God and a real person? Or is it just good that he's a good concept? Is it good enough for that he just makes me feel better? No, I was saying it's important here that God became man to bring men to God. That's essential to the Christian faith. And the teacher that preaches these alternate gospels... John says they are the Antichrist. And odds are we have listened to the Antichrist before. Not from Jeff. We've read one of his books. The Antichrist, as John puts it, is anyone who denies the truth of Jesus Christ in the flesh and his teaching. And then this is an interesting point as a traveling preacher He says in verse 10, And whoever comes to you and does not bring this teaching, your specific application is to not receive them into your homes or greet them or into your church. But I doubt Redeemer would try to bring this type of preacher in. And I don't think the implications stop at just traveling preachers. I think it bleeds over into the sermons we listen to, the music we support, the art that we promote, how and if we distinguish Redeemer from other churches. And I've got one of the worst compliments in my life two years ago. That's right, one of the worst compliments. I finished preaching, and this little old lady came afterward and said, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. I was like, thank you. And she said, you sound just like Joel Osteen. (laughs) It's like, if that's true, just kick me out, vote no. Um, 
hopefully we can distinguish between the true preachers, the true gospel, and, and the false ones, the one that, ones that want to shed light on what Jesus has done and the ones that don't. And so why would, why would someone purposely take Jesus out of their, their message? Why would someone omit the centerpiece of Scripture? Because the gospel breaks into our lives over and over and over again and shows us, shows us that we haven't got it all together, that we need grace and mercy again and again and again. Christ is the centerpiece, not me. Scripture purposely shines the light on how great and wondrous and majestic and glorious Jesus is and not me. If I deny that Jesus came or if I downplay what he did, then I'm able to start deifying myself and giving myself credit for this, that, and the other. That sounds like an antichrist. But praise the Lord, he doesn't allow that. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving in to our demands to glorify ourselves, to be our own gods. And thank you for making our lives about grace, mercy, and peace. And John gets so excited here in this last verse. In verse 12, he says, Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And so he's saying, I have a lot to tell you, but I'll wait. I'll wait till I come to you. But the implications are, the stuff that I have written to you, I couldn't wait to tell you about. I couldn't wait to tell you about grace, mercy, and peace. I couldn't wait to tell you about the lofty high goal of love one another. I couldn't wait to tell you about the truth of Jesus' physical death, resurrection, I couldn't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Jesus, he, John is getting so excited. He's getting so excited about what Jesus has done for us. And so today, I want us to see what he's getting excited about. Hear how Jesus on the cross becomes hate that we might be loved. He dives into the darkness to bring us to the light. He dissipates our hatred with his love. And so today, I don't want you to, to go do something. Yes, the sermon has implications to love one another, but I want you to hear what John is so excited about, about what Jesus has done, how he has accomplished grace and mercy for you, and now relax in the beauty of those things. It is finished forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your news of grace, your news of peace, and your news of mercy. May you use this sermon as a life raft for someone here who may be drowning. That someone here might find hope that someone here might find salvation, that someone here might find you. Or may you be praised. We thank you. Amen.